0: Hello, everybody. This is Steve Smith from WCG Patient Radio. WCG focuses on clinical trials and the ethical treatment of people who volunteer and the safety and efficiency of those trials so we can get more medicines for unmet medical needs. Today, we are speaking with Mr. Thomas Farrington, a software enge- entrepreneur, a theater producer, an author, and a prostate cancer survivor who founded the nonprofit organization called Prostate Health Network that educates men nationwide about prostate cancer and prostate health. His advocacy spans a wide range of approaches from educational seminars, a much-visited website, a theater production now on tour, and visits to legislators on Capitol Hill to help shape public policy for the benefit of people with this unmet medical need. Mr. Farrington serves as a trustee of the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and as an advisor to a number of other healthcare organizations and programs. And he is on the um, National Comprehensive Cancer Networks Prostate Cancer Treatment Guidelines Panel and their Prostate Cancer Early Detection Guidelines Panel. Hello, Thomas. Good morning, Steve, how are you? Very good, thank you, thanks for joining us today. You started the Prostate Health Network in 2003 following the treatment in the year 2000 that you had for prostate cancer in order to provide education about prostate cancer for African American men who uh suffer from prostate cancer uh in uh higher amounts than the public the public as a whole uh, tell us what you were up to career-wise and otherwise in life before diagnosis and how prostate cancer became part of your world
1: yes yeah, steve i was a computer software entrepreneur. I began a company uh, in the early stages of kind of the, the computer revolution. I founded my company and put output computer services uh, in uh, 1969 at the age of uh, the age of 25. I founded this company in Harvard Square, Massachusetts. And uh, so this is, and I worked in that field, leading that company and doing some other things as well for 30 years. Uh, This was a great career. I enjoyed it. It gave me uh, uh, lots of good experiences here in this country, as well as nationwide, because we did have international operations. So this is how I have spent pretty much my career and my life uh, dedicated to uh, entrepreneurship and building
0: a business. And prostate cancer has run in your family, right?
1: Yes, I lost my father to prostate cancer three months before I was diagnosed. Uh, I lost my father Christmas Eve of 1999. I was diagnosed in uh, March of 2000. In early years, I had lost uh, both my grandfathers to the disease. And Steve, unfortunately, through all of this, uh, these uh, losses, uh, I was not aware Uh, My risk for prostate cancer, Uh, my lack of knowledge, uh, uh, I found very
0: alarming
1: uh, when I was diagnosed.
0: And so um, how did your diagnosis come about and um, how did you respond to it? What did you do? What was that like?
1: Well, my uh, diagnosis came about from a physical exam where I had a PSA test and a digital rectal exam. My PSA was high, and my primary care doctor suggested that I have a a biopsy. When I had the biopsy, uh, it was found that I had—I did indeed have prostate Uh, cancer—and I had prostate cancer at an intermediate level. Uh, But uh, because of the family history and the death, I was very, very concerned uh, about uh, my overall condition and what my outcome
0: could be. And did you did you get a treatment and um, what did that do for you?
1: Well, you know, it's very interesting. My treatment journey is one of where I initially decided that uh, I would have surgery based upon my uh, conversation with the urologist <laughs> and I was set to have surgery. Well, I pushed surgery off uh, a few months so i could uh watch my youngest child graduate from college so i wanted to be a, a part of that uh but while i was spending this time waiting i began to do a lot of research about prostate cancer uh things that i had not known i began to dive into in a lot of depth uh and <clears throat> when i was when it came time to have my treatment my surgery i became less and less convinced <clears throat> that this was the right decision for me again i did not have any uh prior knowledge uh i was literally frightened uh when i was diagnosed after losing my father and so i accepted the the treatment the first treatment that was presented to me but as i began to do my research uh i became less and less convinced that this was the right approach so the day before i was to check in the hospital bef- with for treatment, I literally walked away from all of my doctors and said that I am not going to take this treatment at this time i could I may take it at some later time, but I'm going to take time to uh, complete my research and fully understand what my treatment options are uh, so after i taking that time and it took me a couple of three months to do that, and after that, I did end up taken a completely different treatment than the one that I had uh, planned to take. And, and this treatment literally took me out of town. I'm uh, in Boston where we have a lot of medical institutions, great medical centers, like the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute that I serve on the board now. But <clears throat> there was a treatment that uh, that was in actually in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, that was a dual radiation program that was only offered uh, by that center and uh i chose this treatment uh over surgery because uh when i looked at my staging, uh, of where the cancer was at that time uh there was a good chance that it had spread outside of the gland and even my doctors talked about that so i decided to go a different route than surgery
0: and did that work for you
1: uh well it worked in many ways steve because uh uh while I was uh, while I was there for this treatment, there were men there from all over this country and from other parts uh, of the world for the specialized treatment, and, and I got to know them, uh, and we we shared stories with one another. In fact, I stayed at a uh, uh, at a American Cancer Society facility with them uh, at a. Uh, at at a hope center and um we we talked day and night uh so the longer we spent time talking uh, the more we learned so i decided that i would write a book based upon our experiences so i convinced these men to uh, uh to let me interview them and sometimes their wives to get their story and uh put it in a book such that other people could learn from our experiences. They were a little bit concerned initially whether this whether I knew anything about writing a book because uh, I had never written a book. Uh, but I did this and uh, put the book together and published it a year after I completed treatment called Battling the yes, Killer that, Within.
0: Yes, that book is titled, uh, you were just saying, Battling the Killer Within um, yes. and Winning. Right. Yes. Now, battling the killer, and the killer within,
1: and within, and then in 2005, I released that book in 2001. In 2005, uh, I updated it and uh, with a new book called and the Killer Within" and winning.
0: I see. I see. You also then, um, from this experience, you have shared this with many other men through your. uh, not-for-profit group called the Prostate Health Education Network and this has resulted in a nationwide network of people who are uh, cancer survivors and their families who also now educate others and support them. Tell us about the Prostate Health Education Network.
1: Yes, when you asked me whether the treatment worked, I I think I answered it worked in a number of ways and one of the ways was that uh, by spending the time away from home, I I had more time, literally free time, than at any time, I think, up until that point in my life, because uh, uh, this was a treatment for seven weeks. Uh, I had never taken a seven-week uh, hiatus. <laughs> so it gave me a chance to to write the book, which led me into advocacy. And so uh, after writing the book and speaking, I founded the Prostate Health Education Network, in 2003 and uh, from that one of the very first things that we decided to do was to uh, pull together a network of survivors around the country uh so that we could uh we could work collectively to educate our communities about the disease because again for black men uh this is the leading cause of cancer and the leading second leading cause of cancer death so This network of men around the country still work. We work together today, and it's been the basis and foundation for all the other initiatives that we now have undergoing.
0: And um, what is your? Um, how do you educate the the public and this community of of men so that they are more aware and can take um, more action to preserve their health? What are the programs like?
1: We do a number of initiatives. We, uh, I was able to bring in the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute as a partner uh, right after I founded FIN, and uh, they are one of our uh, major partners to this day. Uh, and I might say, uh, Steve, that uh, uh, March uh, 2020 is my 20th anniversary as a prostate cancer survivor. So I feel very, very blessed uh, to uh, to be here and to be able to continue this work. but. Working with the Dana farber Cancer Institute, we pulled together a monthly meetings there and, and converted those, turned those into uh monthly webcasts that we now share across uh the world. Uh our webcasts, we stream them live over Facebook. Uh we reach uh each month uh in a, an average of five thousand unique visitors, sometime up to ten thousand, depending upon the uh the subject matter. So this is one of our uh, very key initiatives. Uh, We also created uh, church partnerships around the country so that we would have a physical base and a support base uh, in the cities uh, where we could educate our network and other people. So working with our church partners, we do, we first began a Father's Day rally where we had it one day, we asked churches to recognize the survivors and their family members on Father's Day and have them come forward for prayer. Uh, And one of the interesting things about that, Steve, is that what we saw, what came out of that, is that many men were in church together, uh, may have been sitting next to each other, not knowing that they were both survivors. So by having them uh, come forward and receive prayer and, and, and hold hands, they realized that they had uh, people within that church where they could coalesce and reach out to the church and other parts of the community. So, from that, we then created an uh, educational symposium where we would pull together medical experts to go to these churches uh, for a uh, four hour event. Uh, and we would tackle different aspects of prostate cancer from early detection, the types of treatments, clinical trials. Uh, and so this is something that we continue today. Uh, so the the webcast, the Father's Day Rally, the symposiums, uh, part of our foundation uh, programs. Uh, we also, in 2005, uh, uh, began a uh, African-American prostate cancer disparity summit. So we pulled together members of the Congressional Black Caucus, and ask them to join with us in our outreach efforts. So uh, each year uh, during the Congressional Black Caucus annual legislative conference, we have a two-day conference, usually one day on the Hill, and the second day at the Washington Convention Center uh, as part of the uh, Congressional Black Caucus events. Uh, This will be our 16th year uh, that we've held that summit. Uh, We bring together legislators, we bring together industry leaders and survivors and community leaders uh, to talk about initiatives uh, that we can undertake collectively uh, to move the fight against prostate cancer further along. Uh, And in 2018, uh, we decided that our symposiums had been successful enough but uh we felt that working with the uh church community and, and some of our cancer centers around the country that we could we could actually do more, bring more people together. So uh we worked with a playwright to create a play that would educate through entertainment. This play, Dead is Boys. Uh we launched in two thousand and eighteen. We've been to fourteen cities. Uh, and it has been received overwhelmingly. Um,
0: yes, and this is really this is really remarkable. I want to make sure that our listeners uh, catch the name of the play and the fact that this they still have opportunities to see it. It's called Daddy's Boys, right?
1: Daddy's Boys. Uh, listeners can go to Daddy's Boys dot org to find out more about the play and when it may be coming to your city. Uh, we are kicking off our 2020 tour. Uh, in Durham, North Carolina, in partnership with Duke Cancer Center and UNC Cancer Center, two NCI Comprehensive Cancer uh, Centers, uh, and with a number of our church partners and a number of our survivor networks, we uh, we uh, we kicked that off in uh, on this month, March the 21st, 2020. Uh, we will have over th- a thousand people, the capacity uh, for the theater, the Carolina Theater is one thousand. We have more than thousand registered as of now. Uh then we moved to Philadelphia, we moved to Chicago and we we'll we will announce our other cities as we move these along. But uh what we've been able to do uh with the play is to have people come and enjoy an entertaining experience. Uh it's a it's a drama, a comedy, uh and a musical. Uh But we get our messages across about prostate cancer uh, through the script. And we also have a panel discussion at the intermission of the play. Uh,
0: So this This is is something that that you've made. You've made a form of entertainment that is engaging and people want to watch, even with comedy and music, which is what people want to be doing with their lives is enjoying themselves. But you're delivering a very important message. It doesn't always have to be um, clinical and and, uh, technical and grim. So that's a wonderful thing.
1: Absolutely. It works well. It's been very effective uh, to bring the community together to educate about prostate cancer.
0: So the dates I know for daddy's boys, um, you mentioned uh, Durham, North Carolina. That's the 21st of March. Philadelphia is April 18th. And Chicago is on May 2nd. May 2nd, that's right. And um, in um, Philly, it's at the... um, Church of Christian Compassion, is that correct?
1: That's right. Church of Christian Compassion, a mega church in, in Philadelphia with three thousand uh uh seating capacity. Uh in Chicago we go to the DuSable Museum. Uh, uh we have two performances there on May
0: second. And in Durham it's at the Carolina Theater. It's at the Carolina Theater, yes. Well this is, it's really remarkable how you have um created a nationwide network of uh, supporters who help others and educate. You've collaborated with Dana-Farber Cancer Research Institute so that there is this strong uh, professional um, medical and scientific um, component to what you're doing. Uh, You regularly visit legislators on Capitol Hill to influence public policy, which is so important, and you also have the entertainment creativity. I think um, many people would find it quite remarkable and inspiring that you've been able to take your experience and transform it into uh, such a multi-dimensional way of helping.
1: Well, it's, it's been a journey, Steve. It's been a journey of discovery. Uh, so with each initiative, uh, uh, we are, are enlightened with uh, new information, new ideas, and, and we try to move on those. Our mission is to eliminate the African-American prostate cancer disparity. We die at a rate over twice that of other men from this disease. Uh, So we're committed uh, to doing our best to find answers as to why and to help solve this issue.
0: So um, would I be right that um, one of the reasons for that health disparity uh, is is the one that you're addressing, which is... um, uh, education and encouragement of all the stakeholders to include African American men in, edu- in in their own education to inform them to invite them in and for them to collaborate with each other to uh pass those messages around that uh, that knowledge can actually help make a difference
1: well you know our theme is knowledge is the best defense against prostate cancer uh and I speak from personal experience and and uh, other men mm-hmm. Uh, that we see, we try to make sure that they have enough knowledge and information to to make informed decisions that's right for them. Uh, when I decided that I wasn't going into surgery uh, when I was initially diagnosed, and when I walked away from all of my doctors, not only my urologist but even my primary care doctor said, "Well, Tom, I don't think there's anything I can do for you at this point." Uh, you know, I, I was alone trying to find information, and uh, uh, we're trying to make this information available uh, to men and their families uh, so that they can learn and make the best decision for them uh, so that they can beat prostate cancer.
0: Yes, this is wonderful because collectively, um, we are not alone, but it's quite common for people to say upon receiving diagnosis, they were uh, felt alone and were alone. So um, Thank you for speaking with us today, um, Thomas Farrington. We um, really uh, appreciate that, and I think a lot of people have been helped by what you do, and it's wonderful to know more about it. Um, Thank you very much. Steve, thank you for this opportunity. This is WCG Patient Radio. We've been speaking today with Thomas Farrington, founder and president of the Prostate Health Network about prostate cancer and prevention. To go to that website, You can go to ProstateHealthED.org. That's ProstateHealthED.org. Thank you for listening, everybody. Goodbye.